So let's turn our attention now to God's word to us from the Gospel of John, the ninth chapter. Listen now for God's word to you today. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. Siloam is a word that means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Loving God, we pray that you will grant us the eyes to see, the ears to hear, and the hearts and minds to understand your word and your world as best we can this day and in days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. So a woman who was dealing with a very life-threatening disease was in church one Sunday morning with a granddaughter, And it was Advent, and the little girl asked her grandma, she says, Grandma, why do we light candles before Christmas? And the woman said, we light candles, my dear, to tell the darkness that we beg to differ. And that's what we're all saying today in some way, you know, whether it's with our words or just our presence that we are here as we reflect on the candles of of hope and of peace. We are here in a world that seems so dark, so dark. We're here to get ready to receive and to shed some light. Now, in the passage I just read from Scripture, we have no idea what the blind man was getting ready for that day when Jesus met him by the side of the road. Most likely, the guy was just getting ready for more of the same. More of the same. More scorn, more isolation, more darkness. Because in the period in which he lived, in those days, being blind wasn't just a debilitating physical condition. It also was something that marked you as unclean, as as a social outcast. So... You hear that contempt in the words that the disciples say when they see this guy. They say to Jesus, who sinned, this guy or his parents? Which made perfect sense in their eyes because, as they say, in their culture with a pre-scientific worldview, 
you know. Um, where the cause of any disability or any disease had to be traced back to some spiritual force. In their world, either some demon possessed you that made you sick or disabled, or Almighty God who was punishing you for something either you or somebody else had done wrong. That's how they understood the world. And so they see this man, as everybody else in their society did, as somebody who was just dealing with his just desserts. But that is not how Jesus sees him, right? We hear that in the story. Jesus actually notices him, right? Before the man even knows, knows he's there, Jesus sees him, and he sees him for who he really is. Not as a pathetic victim of sin, but as a beloved child of God. And he says this, We must work the works of him who sent me, that is, God the Father. We must work the words of him who sent me while it is day. For night is coming. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, it's the second time he said this particular phrase, I am the light of the world, in the Gospel of John. He just said it in the previous chapter, in chapter 8. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, there would appear to be a contradiction here between those two I am the light of the world statements, right? Think about it. On the one hand, Jesus is saying, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. But on the other hand, he's saying, the night is coming when no work can be done. So what do we do with such an apparent mixed metaphor? Well... I think what Jesus is saying is that while he is physically present in body, there's light. And he can do the works that God has called him to do. He can do the works of healing and teaching and, and, and loving and lifting up and liberating and saving. He can do that when he's physically walking around. But when he is physically absent, that is in the night, Somebody else is going to have to continue his work. And sure enough, sure enough, that's what happens. That's what happens. In the gospel, Jesus tells his disciples that there will come a time when they will no longer see him in the flesh. But, but when that time comes, when it's dark, he's never going to leave them alone. Because on the night of that first Easter, he, the risen Christ, gives them the Holy Spirit. He, if you read in John's Gospel, he, he physically breathes the Spirit into his disciples' nostrils. You can't get any more physical than that. He breathes his Spirit into them, and soon thereafter, Jesus departs from this material world. But not before he passes on his light to his disciples so that they can spread that light all over the earth. For as Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, you are the light of the world, a shining city on a hill. So, you know, what does that mean to you and me today, then? 
right? As present-day disciples of Jesus in Piedmont and beyond, what does it say to us? Well, that we too are called to continue his work and to bear his light by the power of the Spirit. But even so, it's awfully hard. I don't have to tell you. I don't have to say how hard it is these days. It seems awfully dark. The shadows of evil and danger, hatred are all around us. They can even be in, inside of us. There's violence and poverty and disease and all the rest. And that's not even to mention what the poet Judy Canato calls the glittering fabrications, the stuff we consume in the media that consumes us, our self-serving ideologies that cause so much division and hatred, the highs of addiction. We're just plain trying to live up to other people's expectations. It is easy to become blind to the light of Christ. And that brings us back to the man that Jesus sees that day by the side of the road. Jesus bends over. He spits on the ground, which sounds kind of weird to us, but it was a pretty normal thing to do for healers to have to have a prop, something like that back in the day. He spits on the ground and he, he makes a sort of poultice out of the mud. He spreads it on the guy's eyes. He tells him to go wash it off at the pool of Siloam, which was a healing place for people. He goes, he does that. He comes back and for the first time in his life, a man can see. And with his new vision, he recognized Jesus. He recognizes Jesus for who he is too, as the incomparable light of the world, God's living presence on this earth. You know, in my uh, online Bible study that I teach every Monday, although if you're wondering, not tomorrow, folks, <laughs> we're taking off until January, but I teach, I've been teaching this class for years and years, online and in person. Anyway, I asked the participants to reflect on what it meant for them or what it means for them to think of Jesus as the light of the world. And here are a few of their responses. One person said, there's an inner glow in Jesus of love and beauty. It's the kind of thing that would make someone drop everything they were doing in order to follow him. There's a daylight shining in Jesus, the brightness of hope, another person said. The light in Christ is like a lamppost when you're walking down a dark street. Makes you feel safe and secure, like everything's going to be okay. It's like finally we can see and find our way when we don't know our purpose in life. Jesus was the light of, the, of God's presence from the beginning. So he's always been present, even when we didn't recognize him. And finally, Jesus is a light that both connects us to God and reveals to us how disconnected we are from God. And those are all really great ways of understanding what it means to call Jesus the light of the world, and there were, there were more. And I invite you all, you know, here watching online, to come up with your own images, uh, ideas to, to, to hold on to, 
hold on to when times get dark in your own life. But think about this too. That even in the darkness itself, the darkness isn't always or even necessarily bad. I mean, I know it gets a bad rap in our culture, right, as a metaphor in our language and our cultural imagination. It's basically, you know, the darkness is shorthand for anything that scares us. We grew up being afraid of the dark or monsters under the bed. We associate darkness with ghosts and death and devils and dangers and depression and doubt and lots of other D's and other things. But you know, even in the Bible itself, there's a much more nuanced take on the matter. Remember that Jacob wrestles with an angel in the dark and he ends up being blessed, the father of the nation of Israel. The Passover escape from Egypt itself happens when? In the dark. Okay, prophetic visions come to people as they're dreaming at night. Jesus himself was born when? At night. And he rose from the dead in the darkness of a tomb. In other words, scary as it can seem, the darkness also contains the seeds of transformation. Because it forces us to focus, to squint, to pay attention, to be more alert to what might be right in front of us. You know, the Episcopal priest Barbara Brown Taylor wrote a really good book about this called uh, Walking in the Dark. And she talks about a lot of things we can learn from being in dark places. And she contrasts them with what she calls full solar Christianity. (laughs) Full solar. You know, it's the kind of Christianity that is this feel-good religion where You know, all your prayers get answered how you want them to be answered. All stories have a happy ending, and God gives clear guidance, and he actually gives you everything you want if you just ask in the right way. Have you ever heard of that kind of religion? Of course, sometimes life does turn out how you want or how you pray, thanks be to God, but often enough, and maybe even more often, it doesn't. So, if God is always present in the dark, as well as in the light, we need to learn somehow to pay attention, all the time. So, what are some of the lessons from the dark? Well, the first is that both the light and the dark come and go. They ebb and flow, they wax and wane like the phases of the moon. Sometimes it seems bright as a headlight, Sometimes it's only a vague crescent, and sometimes it disappears altogether or it gets covered up by all sorts of clouds. But still, the moon, like the light of Jesus, is always there, even if we can't see it for ourselves. So Taylor writes this. She says, to be human is to live by sunlight and moonlight with anxiety and delight, admitting limits and transcending them, falling down and rising up. To want a life with only half of these things in it is to want half a life. 
shutting the other half away where it will not interfere with one's bright fantasies of the way things ought to be. Pretty good way of summing it up. And that brings us to the second lesson of the darkness, and that is it is simply a part of what it is to be a human being. We all know what it's like to feel what we call the dark emotions, like sadness or or fear, what have you. And I, and I know from both professional and from personal experience that those feelings can be really painful and debilitating. But you don't have to live with them forever or alone. In fact, maybe with the help of a trusted friend or a, you know, a spiritual guide or a counselor, you can face up to something that you might rather ignore or open your eyes, even if it's after a long time, open your eyes to some fresh possibilities. Or you can use your experience, your own experience of dealing with, experiencing, and getting through dark places. You can use your own experience to, to listen, to lend your ears, to lend your heart, to lend your help to somebody else who's going through a really difficult time. That's something the darkness can teach us. And then there's a third lesson we can learn, and that is sometimes it takes darkness to appreciate the light. Now, to be clear, I am not saying this in some simplistic or Pollyannish way as if all you got to do is always look on the bright side of life. No, I'm not saying that. As I said, there are evils in this world. There are evils in our hearts. I mean, even as our Jewish friends and neighbors just started celebrating Hanukkah two days ago, the Festival of Lights, the situation in Israel and Gaza and the West Bank couldn't be more desperate, divisive, just plain scary, hellacious. Or look at what's going on in Ukraine. Or talk about darkness, our media doesn't even talk about hardly what's going on in Sudan again, or what just happened in Armenia, when 200,000 people were kicked out of where they were living by the Azerbaijanis and forced to move to, back to Armenia. Talk about ethnic cleansing. There is so much darkness in the world. There is darkness in the East Bay, you know, in our communities, on our streets, with just thinking of all and seeing all the homeless people out in the dark and the cold and the isolation. And even right here in this sanctuary and people watching online, there are some dark places we're all going through. But as people who proclaim that Jesus Christ is the light of the world and who just lit the candle of hope and the candle of peace, we need to keep our eyes open for whatever glimmer we can make out. Whatever glimmer of the light of the world. Maybe it's in, you know, maybe it's in one of the organizations that's going to be here today uh, for the alternative gift market and the work that they're doing, or the work they want to do and that they need funding in order to, take, to do it, or, or maybe they need volunteers, or maybe it's some new opportunity for ministry we have in the church, or, Maybe it's an idea you have or an idea that you've heard about. Some way 
that we can bring the hope and the peace of Christ into this world as best we can. However, maybe it's just reaching out to a neighbor in need. But even if we can barely make out the light for ourselves sometimes, we are called to bear the hope and the peace and the joy and the love of Jesus Christ as best we can by whatever light we're inspired by. There's a story about a church. The story varies, but the way I heard it, it was in Switzerland. And this church lost its historic building in a fire. The people were devastated, and so after a time of, of mourning and just, just terrible time of tears, um, the people decided to rebuild the sanctuary. And as luck would have it, one of the members of the church was a very, very, very well-known architect. And he often offered to design and uh, to supervise the building of the new church. He said he would even do it for free with one stipulation. How many of you have ever had a contractor had had one stipulation? This guy had to have absolute freedom to design the building his own way. And so, knowing that he was a really renowned architect and they were getting it for free, they said, go ahead. So construction started and you know, when it was nearly complete, the people could see what was rising up in their, in their town, and they were amazed. Some called it a masterpiece of simplicity and elegance in design. The room was airy and open, the sanctuary. The doorway was inviting. There was even a place for the stained glass windows that they had salvaged from the old building. But then, one of the children of the congregation noticed something was missing. Where are the lights? And sure enough, there was not a single light in the sanctuary. And there wasn't any place where you would apparently put in lights either. And so the architect was summoned in an emergency and we walked in, he was battered with questions. Surely there's been a mistake. Where are the lights? And he replied, there has been no mistake. Trust me. Wait and see. Well, what were these people going to do? So they did. They trusted, they waited, and then the night finally came where they could see what he had done. It was Christmas Eve. They were rededicating or dedicating the building, and as the members walked through the doors of the, the sanctuary, each one was handed a small oil lamp of gleaming brass, each person. And the architect had specially designed these brass lamps to match the design of the sanctuary. And as one worshiper after another would walk down the hall and into the sanctuary, the room was banked in a beautiful glow. The light and the shadow playing upon the ceiling. Everybody was amazed, and so the pastor asked the architect to come down and speak, and he explained to the people that the lamps were his gift to the church. They were theirs to keep, each one. And he told them to bring the lamps with them whenever they came to worship. He said, you are the light of the world. If you aren't present in worship, there will be a dark corner in need of light. 
And when worship ends, take your light home with you. Let it shine in your homes and in your lives as a reminder of the presence of Christ to whose glory this building is dedicated. And when the service ended and the people left the building, lamps in hand, it was as a river of light was leaving the house of God and going in to the rest of the world. I love that story. And it reminds me of something that, a quote that somebody from our congregation sent me yesterday from the poet James Baldwin. He wrote, the longer I live, the more deeply I learn that love, whether we call it friendship or family or romance, love is the work of mirroring and magnifying each other's light. So my hope for all of us today on this second Sunday of Advent and all the seasons ahead is that we can mirror and magnify the light of love that shines through Jesus and shines in one another and those we meet. And with the gifts of hope and peace and joy and love, when it seems too much to bear, we can tell the darkness, we beg to differ. In Jesus' name. Amen.